0: Here is Pastor Micaiah. Wow, what a great week. It's so good to see each and every one of you. My goodness, I'm so grateful and thankful for each of you. You all did an amazing job last week. There's just so many reasons to say thank you. Last week was just incredible. Just to see, even in spite of all the inclement weather, in spite of our canopies blowing over, and just everything that happened, it was awesome to see you ministering and serving. So great. I just loved every bit of it. Last week was especially awesome because we had over 475 first-time guests. Those are people that never been. That's first time. So often when we do these events, we have a lot of people that they've been to other stuff. This is people that have never been to our church service. And you saw I did something new in each service. I asked people to raise hands. How many of you never been to a church service? So it's really cool to see how many people had never been to a church service that we're able to minister. And really what that is, is we're planting that seed of the gospel. And so that was exciting. We had 66 people who don't currently call Southridge their home yet. They were involved in serving. They were loading trees. They were serving coffee. They were waving signs. just incredible, and then we also had uh, 48 people give their life to Christ. So that's the number I go nuts about. 48 people giving their life to Christ. And what's awesome, and to have that accurate of number, we need to thank Jillian Yabara. Okay, uh, the ushers are great, y'all, but uh, you need a woman in there to make sure the numbers are right and correct. And she had those numbers. So thank you, Jillian Yabara. You've been promoted, and uh, you are now the official counter. Of the numbers, all right? You say, why do you guys count numbers and make a big deal out of numbers? Because numbers represent a name. They represent a mother, a brother, a cousin, a son or a daughter that someone has been praying for. Hey, I shared with the uh, uh, dream team this morning in our huddle that we need to assume that they are in the room. Around the holidays, a lot of people are bringing their lost friends and family and co and a lot of times around the holidays, people are just hungry for something. They're longing for something. So they're going to they're gonna make their way into a church. Some of you, you started coming to the church or coming back to God during the holiday season. And something just happened. So we want to assume that you're in the room. And this is your first time at Southridge. We're glad that you're here. We want to let you know that we want to lock arms with you and encourage you. Because we believe that your time here, you're going to leave better than when you came in. And that's our hope. That's our desire. And so we're excited about that. We're grateful for what God did last week and what he's going to continue to do. Because there was an incredible storm out there. Also... Uh, last week we paid for 400 trees. We were given, thanks to another person who knows how to count, Isaac, uh, we got 420 trees. So last week we thought we gave out 340. But actually we gave out 360 of those trees. So we actually beat last year's numbers. Incredible with the storm, which is just awesome. So that's just great that we were able to bless that many people. And so that would make it so we've given out 1620 trees so far in the last couple years. And we love ministering and serving others. That's the goal. That's that's why we're here. You see, I need to tell you something. People don't go to Southridge because they're looking for a church. They go to Southridge because they know that they're building the church. Amen. They're building the church. If you're looking for comfort, you're looking for ease, you're looking for no setup, tear-down, you found the wrong place. But if you're saying, hey, I want to be a part of something at the ground floor, I want to build something, man, you're at the right place. Because we don't just go here, we're building something. We're building something not for this generation but for the next generation that is planting seeds that one day will produce a harvest. What does Galatians 6, 7 say? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. If you faint not, that's a blessing and a promise from God. That God is saying in Galatians, we can take that to the bank and say, God, we have invested in this community. We have poured seed into this community. God, we look forward and we celebrate in advance for the harvest that you're going to bring. And because we base that on Scripture, on God's Word, that's not just happy, clappy, feel good, great, good news. No, no, that's a promise from Scripture. Hey, we live by the Word. This is what saturates our lives, and this is what we move by. This is what we're building our foundation, our faith by. This is what we're building our church by. And so what we do is we look at the scripture and we say, God, you are going to see people. Don't be discouraged that they don't, they don't come back this Sunday. They'll be back the next the week after that. They will be back as we keep investing. We keep sowing. We keep giving. And God keeps building his church. And I love the fact that we got to serve in a storm. I love that. You say, you weren't out there, preach man. You were in where it was warm and it was dry. Yeah, but afterwards, I stayed till 3 o'clock with, uh, The four or five of us that say to clean everything up. And we were in the rain. We got soaked. And so I joined you. I joined you. I know. I know. And so uh, we were out there afterwards. We got everything cleaned up. But, man, that storm didn't stop us. That's what I love about our church. A little storm doesn't stop us. It's like we're the disciples. We don't have Jesus in the boat, but we just know he's with us. We're just like, hey, the storm's not going to stop us. You say, why? We were made for the storm. Touch your neighbor and say, you were made for the storm. You're tough enough. You can handle the storm. You can handle the rain. You can handle a little water. It's just water. You ain't going to melt. And if you do, that proves my suspicions that you're a witch. No, 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 don't don't say that. Don't say that. That's mean. That's mean. We we love everybody. We love everybody at Southridge. But practically speaking, many of you, you gave, you served. And really what you did is what you took a next step. Every one of you. You took a next step. Whether you prayed for the event, you attended the event, you gave or you served, you took a small next step. Here's what I believe about the Christian faith. It is not massive steps that we grow spiritually. It's small, daily, incremental choices. It's the little choices that make or break you. In January, I'm working on a series, and I can't wait to preach it about the arrows. You see, everybody has goals and targets, don't we? Everybody has it. And everybody has big, good goals. But that's not our problem. That's not our problem. You see, it's good to have a good target, but the target is not what's important. It's the trajectory of the arrow that's important. Because if my target's there, but I'm aiming there, what am I going to hit? I'm not going to hit my target, am I? So trajectory is more important than target. You get that? You following me? That's true. That's good. That's good. And so guess what? What we did was we said last week, God, I am pointing my life in a direction that I'm taking a small step. I'm serving a tree. And for some of you, you've never served before. So your first step was putting a tree. Can I say thank you? Because guess what? You took that little next step. Some of you said, I couldn't load a tree, but guess what? I helped pay for a tree. You took a little next step. Some of you said, hey, guess what? I can help greet. I can help seat. I can wave a sign. I can put Mickey Mouse ears and hands on and make people feel really happy. Or I can walk out with an umbrella. What you did is you grew spiritually. That was a small next step. Many of you gave your life to Christ. That was that next step. Everybody has a next step. Whether you've been saved 10 minutes or 10 years, everybody has the next step. This is a constant progression of spiritual growth. And that's what happened. So don't just look at it as, oh, man, we gave all that stuff to all the community. Where are they at? In greats? No, no, no. You grew. I grew. We were stretched. God took us deeper. He did more in us than he did through us. And you need to believe that. You need to believe that. You need to believe that every time you step out of your comfort zone, God is doing more in you than he's really doing through you. And that's the greatest blessing, that God is working in you, that he will perform, he will complete that which he began. Because we're all in this sanctification process, sanctification, becoming more like Christ. That is the goal. And so when we serve, when we step out of our comfort zone, that's what we as a body of Christ are doing. And I love that we all did it together. We all were soaking wet and cold together. We all were wanting coffee together. We were all commiserating together. We all got on Facebook live and were just totally just what I call is hungover from the weekend. Now, when I mean hungover from the weekend, let me explain, okay? Let me explain because I don't mean that I got wasted to deal with the stress. No, no, no. There's just some with all the adrenaline, man, you, just, you could just tell I, I was just out of it, but it was great because I was celebrating all that God did on last Sunday because I know what he did in your heart and my heart, and I know that we're better for it. I know that our church grew from it. We're stronger. Now we set a new PR. That's what we did. You know what a PR is? It's a personal record. It's our personal best. That's what we set. And so now we are continue to grow. We are continuing to push ourselves. Well, that's, that's not really anything to do with the message, but man, that felt like a good message. So we could probably go home now. Amen. Y'all too excited about going home? I'm just pumped up by last weekend. You see, many of us, We're here because God is increasing our sphere of uh, ability and influence, and so I'm so grateful. There's so many people I want to brag on by name this morning, but for sake of time, I don't have time. But I just want you to know that many of you, you went above and beyond. It's so exciting. Well, week number one, we talked about in our heart and soul series, we talked about moving on a maybe, a perhaps. We looked at Jonathan as his armor bearer. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps God will work through us. And so we talked about when we make a step towards what God has for us, we're not always guaranteed, but we will move on the maybe. We will move, perhaps God will work. And so we'll move on that. So we talked about a perhaps. Week number two, we once again, we looked at Jonathan and his armor bearer. And many times we're confused why God will ask us to do things that we don't see the purpose in. And we saw that purpose is like a Polaroid. It develops over time. That as I continue to take steps, God is developing. And then week number three, we looked at preparation as David was building the temple. As David took great preparation. I was doing some reading and some more studying on David. And when you take into account everything that he personally gave to the temple, scholars estimated that in today's currency, David personally gave $21 billion to build the temple personally. That's not what anybody else, that's what he gave personally to build the temple. I think he was heart and soul about building the temple, don't you? I think he was invested in it. And so he was all about preparation. And we understand that we need to prepare ourselves. Last week, we did everything we could to prepare to receive the increase that God was going to send. We stewarded the best that we could. And so we are preparing. We are preparing for the next generation. This evening, several of us are going to gather at a vision gala. And we are going to look at the future. And we are going to begin to pray, plan, and prepare to take those steps. And that's what's going to happen tonight at 530 at the vision gala. And we're looking forward to that. But today, I want to look at. Our perception, our perception. You ever saw something, you thought you were seeing it the right way, and then come to find out you were seeing it totally the wrong way? Oftentimes, I think it's our perception of circumstances, it's our perception of people. Now, I know what they say. Uh, Perception really determines our reality. And I get where people are coming from on that, where it's a perceived reality. But sometimes we need a reality check. We need our perception check. I meet with a, a church planning coach uh, twice a month, and so I was talking to him, and and we were talking about uh, baptisms and life group attendance. And I said, "Ah, oh, we're doing okay," and he said, "Just give me your numbers." And so I gave him the numbers. He said, "You're not doing okay. You're crushing it for a church your size. You're you're blowing it out of the water." He's like, "What do you mean you're doing okay?" He's like, "Should we trade places here?" He's like, "This is this. You don't you didn't even know." He was like, "Most churches can't baptize ten percent of their entire congregation. You guys are almost at thirty percent." He said, are you kidding me? You guys are doing phenomenal. What God is doing through, even with all the ups and downs that you've ridden through, he's like, your perception needs to change. I had a perception. I thought I was failing. Some of you, you feel like you're failing in your marriage. You're not. Some of you may feel like you're failing at your job. You're not. Some of you feel like, man, I'm single, so I must be a loser. You're not. It's a perception thing. It's just a perception. Oftentimes, we need our perception help. This morning, I believe that we can help our perception, the way we see things. Because we're going to talk about something that is often perceived as a negative thing. So I want to look at it this morning. You see, we all want a life that looks good. We all want that. We all try it. We all do things to have a life that looks good. But too often, we sacrifice doing good for a life that looks good. So what will happen is somebody might show up to help pass out a tree. They'll say, hey, just take a picture of me real quick, holding the tree. All right, there we go. 30 minutes, I'm done. You know, we, we, we will sacrifice because we like to perceive, and we want people to perceive us a certain way. And so we will sacrifice doing good to feel good. And if you look at the state of our country, that's really where we're at, aren't we? We would rather be perceived as good. We would rather look good than do good. And we will chase feel good, to and and we don't understand that that's diminishing the real good that we could do. So we're we're wrapped up in a culture that's all about looking good and feeling good. Whatever we have to do, we chase those things. Always got to feel good. So what do I have to eat? What do I have to drink that will make me feel good? What do I have to ingest? Hey, who do I have to be with to make me look good, make me feel good? And that's culture today. Come on, you go to the grocery store, the magazines that they still cut down all the trees in the rainforest to print, which I don't know why, now that we have the internet, uh, they still print. All of it is telling you one thing. Hey, you need to look like this. You need to be with this person. It's, it's all trying to, you, to get you to say, hey, you need to look this way. You need to feel this way. Without ever telling you, hey, just do good. And guess what? You'll feel good. You really will. Didn't it feel good last week to serve? Just come on, raise your hand. It just felt good, didn't it? It was awesome. I just loved it. I loved watching everybody else serve as I just stepped back and I wasn't like I didn't want to serve. It was just neat to see how God was using each and every one of you. You all touched lives last week. You all made eternal impact. And so that's exciting for us to see. But in a culture that just says, hey, we want to be perceived as good and not do good, we've got a problem. Also, isn't it interesting when it comes to generosity? A lot of Americans will tell you that they're generous. Hey, I believe that many people in our church would say that they are generous. Most Americans say that they are generous. Except when we looked at the statistics two weeks ago, it shows that 1.7% of our annual household income goes to church or charity. 1.7%. Just imagine all the kingdom work that's left on the table that can't be done because we want to be perceived as good, but we don't want to do good. Perception. 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 And so we need to get out of the habit because here's what I think is really interesting. I love to be around generous people. Don't you? Isn't it awesome to go out to eat with generous people? You know why? They pay. It's so good. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, it's great. Now, I love to be around generous people. I like to try to get them to go to car dealerships. They, they never <laughs> want to go with me. But it's fun to be around generous people. It's just great, isn't it? Don't you just feel good being around generous people? I think everybody needs a generous friend, all right? And if you don't have a generous friend, hate to break it to you, you're the stooge. Okay, you're that generous friend. That's you. You're the generous friend. And sometimes you know this about yourself, that you know that you're the generous person. You know you will give away everything you've got, and and you're just generous. Uh, I remember growing up, and my uh, family was very just not doing well financially. My dad was a pastor, a church planner in Fresno, and he had seven children. And so he would work a paper out, he would work at the church, whatever he had to do to make ends meet uh, to pay for things. And every summer, we would go out to Wisconsin, Illinois, and we'd go see family. And we'd go see my Oma. Oma's just German for grandmother, kind of like Lolo Lola lo, lo for uh, uh, Tagalog, or uh, did I pronounce this one right? Let me see if I can get it. Uh, my abuelita? There we go. I'm working on Spanish too. Come on. We are a multicultural, multigenerational church. I got to get these down, okay? All right? I got to get it all down. So we would go out there and we'd see my alma. My alma would take us to go see her sister. Tante Edith. And we'd get to Tante Edith's house, the first thing, every time we saw her, the first thing she wanted to do. In her thick German accent, she would say, "Maak, Mach, the shoes, the shoes, the kids' shoes. Uh, No good. No good. Let's go. And she would load us all up, seven of us. We'd go to the shoe store. Whether we needed new shoes or not, she was going to buy us shoes. And so we would go through, and we would just pick out, she'd say, any pair of shoes, just go get them. She didn't have any children of her own. So she just said, any shoes you want. So we'd go and get a pair of shoes. And I remember one year, I picked a pair of shoes that were just cheap. They were just shoes. Okay, here's a pair of shoes. Some of you are like, we know where it started. It's your time to eat his fault about your shoes, your little shoe addiction. (laughs) Blame it on her. And so uh, I picked a pair of shoes. She said, no, 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 those are too cheap. Grab a second pair. I was like, you don't have to ask me twice. I grabbed two pairs of shoes. I got two pairs. Everybody else got one. Can I tell you something? That was almost two decades ago, and I'm still talking about it. Why is that? Because she was generous. Oh, my goodness. And guess what? Here's what's so crazy. As seven of us kids were running around that shoe store, you know what she was doing? She was just grinning ear to ear. She was so happy. She couldn't have been more happy if she was at Disney World. She couldn't have been more happy. She was so overwhelmed and joyful to be there buying shoes. Here's the thing. We love to be around generous people, but here's what's crazy. And here's my big question i am put up on the screen. So why don't we want to be generous people? If we like to be around them, why is it we love to be around generous people, but we don't want to become generous? That's the question. That's the loaded question this morning. We all love to hang around those generous people. But when it comes time to be generous, that's where we struggle. That's where the church struggles. That's where Southridge struggles. 20% of the congregation pays for everything, 20%. You say, what? Yeah, 20%. The rest are what I call tippers, not tithers. You might tip God. Hey, I got a bonus. Uh, Let's give a little bit to the house of God. Tippers, not tithers. Let me just be real. Let me just put it out. I know we got some fr- family and guests, but let me just put it out there. That's just where the reality is. And so we need to step back and say, God, what would you have us to do? So let's turn our attention to scripture this morning because I want to tell you this morning, I want to share with you about the genius of generosity. Let's talk about the genius of generosity. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. The genius of generosity. If you have a copy of God's word, let's go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 1 says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. That verse right there is so convicting, isn't it? It didn't say that they were billionaires and millionaires. It didn't say that they were the one percenters. It said that they were in deep, Poverty. But they were generous. Let's continue reading. They are being tested by many troubles, Scripture said, verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They, get this, begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. What's, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have not and what you do not have. This morning... The genius of generosity. Here's what I think is interesting about this group of people. Here's the people that are poor and they are giving. And Paul is writing to a church at Corinth. And he's letting the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was in a very wealthy city. One of the first cities to have indoor plumbing. One of the first cities to have street lights that somebody would go and light. Kind of like you remember picturing in the old city of London or something. Somebody would light the streets. They would have these street lights that they would light. It was a modern city. So Paul is riding to the church at Corinth. And he's telling them about the church in Macedonia. The churches that were struggling. And he's saying, hey, they are generous. But what are you guys doing? And he's comparing it, the two. He's comparing Corinth, which was just a modern city. Full of uh, technological advancement. Similar to the Silicon Valley. Very Much advanced, just really on the cutting edge. And he said something about this group. He said, guess what? This group is generous, but I love something. This group had something that money can't buy. You see, the genius of generosity is that it gives you something money can't buy. Did you catch it in verse number two? This group of poor Macedonians had great joy. You know money can't buy joy. Money can buy happiness. Money can buy a moment of pleasure, but it cannot buy joy. And yet this group had joy around this season. That's one thing that many people want. They want joy. They want to know what it's like to be filled with joy. Not, not worried about, hey, uh, how are we going to have that big fancy dinner? Are we going to have enough presents? We're going No, they just filled with joy. and That's something that money can't buy. And that's the genius of generosity. That as you're generous, guess what? There's a joy that's linked to generosity. There is a joy that people have that are simply, they're generous, they're, they're overflowing with it. And it was something that you couldn't put a price tag on. You see, money can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy joy. And I love that fact that they counted it a privilege to participate in generosity. As a matter of fact, it says that they were begging to be a part. They, they were saying, Paul, don't, don't exclude us from this. Paul, don't look at us and say, we don't have a lot, so guess what, you're excused. No, no, no. You're robbing me, you're robbing us of a blessing. We want to be a part of this. We want to give. We want to see God work through us. And I think that's so valuable because oftentimes we have a perception problem. We say, I don't have enough to give. If I have more to give, then guess what I'd give. And that's not the case. That's not the case. A farmer doesn't say, Man, I can't wait for this crop to come in. This is going to be a great crop. I'm going to have so much corn. I'm going to have so much cauliflower. I'm going to have so much uh, alfalfa. I'm going to have so much whatever that farmer is. And you go up to the farmer and you're like, man, you're going to have a lot of a great crop. That's awesome. When did you plant it? What do you mean I plant it? I didn't plant nothing. I just have a field. I'm just waiting for my crops. Hold on now, but you didn't plant anything. No. Why, am I supposed to? Yeah, if you want a crop. Yeah, if you want something to come back on, uh, it's the person saying, man, I can't wait for my Apple stock. Oh, yeah, can't wait for my dividend check. It's going to be great. Can't wait till I get that interest. It's coming. And you say, oh, yeah, how much Apple stock do you own? I don't own any Apple stock. Then why are they going to send you a check? I don't know. I just You didn't put anything in. You ain't going to get anything back. But we do the same with God. God, when you give it, guess what? I'll sow it. God's like, no, no, you got to sow it, then I'll give it. First, got to sew it, then I'll give it. And too often, that's where we stop, where people will say, ah, I just can't afford to. I can't afford not to. I can't afford not to. And sometimes I know what people do. I know what people say. Some of you didn't grow up in the church, and I think you're blessed because of that. some of you did, and I think you're working through it. And so when it comes to growing up in the church, sometimes, <laughs> sorry, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I grew up in the church, too. Don't worry. I was the same. Very dysfunctional. Still seeing therapy. It's all right. We're in it together. This is group counseling. And what would happen was we would, we would say things like this, like, giving was only under the law. I don't need to give. I live under grace. To which I would say, if you invited me over to your home for dinner and you cook a great meal, man, it was super good. And then I say, thank you for the meal. And then I walk into your living room and you kind of think that's strange. And you see me walk out of your living room and I got your 65-inch flat screen. Thank you. Dinner was awesome. You'd say, Pastor Micaiah, don't you know it's wrong to steal? I would reply, I don't live under the law. I live under grace and I'm taking your TV. (laughs) It's the same thing. Oh, I know I stepped on some of your toes. I know I did. Because it's the same thing. You're trying to cherry pick which scriptures you're going to live under. We don't do that. We don't just say, oh, right now it's convenient to not live under the law. No, no. Tithing. And first fruits predates the law. It all does. It all does. Cain and Abel, their whole argument was about the first fruits, the tithe. Abraham offering Isaac, it's all about the tithe. It's that first fruit, all of it. You see it, it predates the law. So let's not get tied up in, oh, we're under grace and I'm under the law and I'm under this. No, 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 no. It's a part of our generosity. Uh, Giving and tithing is about life, not law. It's about life. And we get to do more. Why? Because we've been so blessed and God provides. But notice this. I love this. Verse number 8 says something great. It says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by compounding it with the eagerness of other churches. You see, the genius of generosity, first of all, is that it gives something money can't buy. The genius of generosity, secondly, is that it gets more than it gives. You say, why? I love this. It gets more than it gives. The word tithe, the word giving, is a word that we often get really confused by. You see, the word tithe just means ten. Do you know what ten represents throughout Scripture? Test. Ten throughout Scripture is a test. Think about it. Okay? How many commandments were there? There were ten. It's a test. The tithe is a test. Uh, How many plagues hit Egypt? Ten plagues. How many days did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, chapter number one, fast and have fruits, vegetables, and water? Ten. It was a test. New Testament, Revelation, chapter number two. It says, for ten days I will test you. In this verse, it talks about a test. The tithe is really God's way of testing. Testing what? Testing what, though? testing where our heart is because money is a mirror a mirror of my heart money is a mirror right now i need a hundred bucks i just need a hundred dollars somebody got a hundred dollars i need a hundred dollars you got a Oh man can i have that hundred dollars wow can we just give it up for michaela just awesome just gave me a hundred dollars look at that incredible i'm gonna count it just to make sure 20 40 60 80 100 wow that was awesome Thanks so much, Michaela. I really appreciate you. Just incredible, giving me $100 there. Some of you are like, why did you just take that little girl's money? You mean pastor. You say, the bigger question is, why was she so eager to give it? That's the bigger question. If I was Michaela's age and the pastor asked for money, I'd say, nope. No, no, sir. It's my money. It's Christmas time. I got presents to buy. I got things to do. And all of a sudden, we would, we would hold back. But here's the deal. I gave it to her before the service. I gave it to her before the service. So guess what? There was no emotional attachment to it. She knew whose it was. It's it's just me giving it to her for a a minute. You see, that's really what it was. It was just me just saying, hey, for a minute. So thank you so much for being a good steward. Can we give it up for Michaela? Michaela, here you go. I want to give you a little Christmas present. Just go buy a lot of candy with it. Buy candy. Just a ton of candy. That's all you can buy with it. You see, what happens is we think it's all ours, and God's like, why are you so holding it so tight? Why, as soon as the pastor starts talking about generosity, you grab for your wallet. Like, you're in the Old West. Like, let's do this. You know? You're not Clint Eastwood. It's okay. Don't You don't have to worry about this. Man, here, here's the thing. Uh, I was born selfish. I was born again generous. Amen? Let me say it again, I was born selfish, I was born again generous, because I have the heart of God. Our God is a giver, our God is is there to uh, give. That's why in the same passage, he talks about giving his own son. And when he gives his son, that's the pattern that you and I are to follow. So when we understand that, wait a minute, this is God's, and I get the opportunity to bring back what is his. But I know what happens in your heart and mine. You see, money in the scripture in the New Testament is called mammon. You know that? Sometimes we get confused why Jesus would call it mammon. And I believe there is a spirit on mammon. You say, what do you mean a spirit? I, I don't mean to get weird on you, but I believe that money has a spirit on it. And I believe that for some of us, the spirit of money captures our heart. Because here's what money will say. Money will say, guess what? If you have enough money, you can solve all your problems. Where do you think that voice came from? That's the spirit of money. That's the spirit of greed. Uh, money will tell you, guess what? I can insulate you from all the hurt and pain this world can ever throw at you if you just have enough of this. So guess what? Get all you can, can all you can, and then sit on the can. That's, that's kind of the spirit of money, isn't it? You see, money is just like, hey, just get it and just, just stuff it and just kind of become Scrooge McDuck, right, in the little vault. And, man, you just go swimming in that money. And instead of saying, you know what, wait, wait, there's a spirit on it. There's a spirit of greed. It's a spirit that says it's all mine. You see, money promises what only God can provide. Do you realize that? Money promises us what only God can provide. Some of us, we find our identity in this. We, we find our significance. Because of money, we say we're going to go buy clothes, we're going to buy this house, we're going to buy these cars. And we base our life image in what we can afford and what we can buy. But guess what? You take away mammon, you take away money, and guess what? What do we have? Nothing. But God's saying, hey, I'm supposed to be your hope. I'm supposed to be your trust. I'm studying the old kings right now in my personal devotion. And I think it's interesting that every time they would trust in Pharaoh or they would trust in a foreign power, that's when God's hand of blessing and protection was taken off of them. Because he said, no, no, I'm supposed to be your hope. I'm supposed to be the one you trust in. So guess what? When we trust in God, God says, guess what? I can provide for you. I can insulate you. I can help you. Because God promises, and what he promises, he pays. You see, there's nothing that, people say there's nothing that money can't buy. But guess what? Money can't buy that joy-filled life that you're looking for. Money can't do that for you. You see, when it comes to money, I can't rely on riches. I can't rely on it. And sometimes we build our life on it. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to be a good steward of it, like we said two weeks ago, that I'm God's M&M, his money manager, Instead of doing that, you know what we do? We just say, no, 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 I, I can do a better job than God. No, 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 we can't. Instead of saying, God, I want to sow this. I'm going to give this to you. You know what the great sin of Adam and Eve really was? They acted like owners instead of stewards. God said there's the whole garden. You can eat anything you want except for this one tree. And what did they do? They take it. They ate it. That's what an owner does. That's what an owner does. I worked at Steinmart. Some of you from the other parts of the country know what Steinmart is. And we had a guy that would work there in the men's clothing department. He would come in in an outfit and he would leave in a different outfit. I was like, that's interesting. And and I told our LP, loss prevention. I said, watch this guy. Just watch him. He's going to come in the morning and when he checks out or clocks out, he's going to be wearing a different outfit. And sure enough, he would walk in with an outfit and he would walk out with another outfit. You know what he was doing? Shoplifting. He acted like he owned the place. He got so bold, he would leave the tags on. He wouldn't even take off the tags. Wouldn't even take them off. Just walked right out. Nobody stopped him. Nothing. Why? He acted like an owner when he was really stealing. Let me step on our toes. Hopefully you didn't wear open-toed shoes today. We walk into church. We take what we want. We walk right out and we act like owners and not stewards and saying, God, I'm bringing it back. We walk right in every Sunday. Huh? That was good. That was good preaching. I'm glad they had hot coffee. I don't know how they paid for it, but they got hot coffee, and I drink a lot of coffee. Oh, that's great. We got rich kids. We got a great children's pastor. I don't know how we pay for that, but that's great because it ain't come from me. Man, what are we? We're acting like owners instead of stewards. Instead of saying, you know what, God, this is an opportunity. I'm part of building this church. And guess what, if I'm going to build, guess what, I'm going to give towards it. I'm going to be invested. I'm going to have my part in this. I want to do what I can be a part of. I want to help out with this. Don't, I don't want to have the sin of Adam and Eve where they acted like owners instead of stewards. God wanted them to steward the garden instead they acted like owners. You know, two years ago, I saw one of the greatest acts of generosity, and it blessed me so much. And I see it again in this text. Would you go to verse number 11, please? Now it says, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Did you underline that and circle that? Because God knows everyone's situation. I know some of you are without a job right now. Some of you are in between jobs. Some of you just got downgraded. You're not making as much. Some of you have medical problems. Some of you, you're a single parent. You're trying to pay rent, insurance. You're trying to pay for uh, good schooling. You're trying to pay for clothes. And so a message like this, it may seem heavy-handed. It may seem like, do you not understand my situation? And God does. That's why he put this verse in there. He said in this scripture once again, let me read it again. Highlight it, underline it. It says, give in proportion to what you have. You see, the church at Corinth had many different levels of giving. Many different levels. Not everybody can give like everybody else in this room. Some, God has blessed you and God is using you because you've learned the discipline of good stewardship. And so you're giving a generous offering that everybody else would look back and just say, wow, that's incredible. Some of you, you're saying, you know what, God, uh, uh, $100 might even be a stretch for me. $100 just might be a stretch, you know. And, and, but, God, I'm going to give $100 because, God, I believe in the church we're building. I believe in the future that we're, we're, we're sowing into. And so, God, I'm investing, even though this would be a sacrifice, where some, some others, you're going to spend $100 at fast food. I mean, and I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that, that's, that's nothing, $100. So of you, Christmas time is coming up, and it'll be nothing for you to blow $5,000, $10,000. It's nothing. And, and we just live in an area, but here's what God is trying to say. He's trying to say, give in proportion to what I've given you. So please write this third point. This is the genius of generosity. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. Two years ago, I saw one of the greatest illustrations of this when I got this. And I'm so glad the family that gave it is here this morning. Because I saved this. They wanted this to go to an offering two years ago, and I just couldn't. I couldn't. So I matched their offering, and then I, I, I took care of it. But I was like, this is my Bethel. You say, what do you mean? It's a place I go back to, and I remember God's goodness and his promises. You see why? Because uh, three boys had been working on going to Disneyland, and they were putting all their money, loose change, birthday money, Christmas money, everything in a pickle jar from Costco, Mount Olive. And they were storing this up. And they wanted to go to Disneyland. And they wrote vacation fund. And not only did they write vacation fund, you know what they did to the jar just in case they were ever tempted when the ice cream man came by or they were going to the dollar store? They hot glued this sucker shut. They are like, we ain't going to be able to get to this. And they said, nope. And then they brought this for a heart for the house off and the first one we ever did two years ago. And this was maybe not the biggest dollar amount we received that year, but it represented something far bigger than we could possibly imagine. Because it represented equal sacrifice, because it was everything they had in the world. And sometimes we would say to a person like that, we'd say, "Well, that's easy for you. you don't have a lot, so it's easy to give. Excuse me. Excuse our arrogance. It's a lot. As a matter of fact, it's even harder to give. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because wealth keeps us out oftentimes. So for a person that says, hey, I'm going to give God everything, what are they really saying? The, The money is a mirror, and it's saying, God, my heart is all yours. Everything. I'll give it to you. Anything you want, God, I'm heart and soul in on this thing. And so three boys, they're sitting right down here, and they said, God, we're going to give you everything. I believe this is symbolic of their heart. I'm so thankful for their mom and for their dad who raised up children who said, we are heart and soul. We are all in. We are all gods. We will get up on that altar. And guess what? Was it a sacrifice? It was a sacrifice. Can you boys stand up? I want the church to see you. Please stand up. Please stand up. These three boys right here set that example. an example of generosity and mom when you write your parenting book i want the first copy because i want to have boys like that i want to know how you did that do you know how hard it is to get a kid's money it's harder than it is to get an adult's money i've tried i was a children's pastor for six years i was like we're taking an offering they're like "Uh -uh. uh-uh uh-uh i'm going to the movie theaters i love popcorn more than i love jesus i'm like that's heresy i don't care you know his kids. But that's what God will do because he's looking for people that say, "You know what? It's equal sacrifice, not equal giving." You see, we reap what we sow. We reap after we sow. And here's the best part. We always reap more than we sow. You know, Luke 6:38 says this, "Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap." For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I never really understood that verse until I understood agriculture in that day. You see, agriculture in that day, the owners of the land were only allowed to take the grain that was in the middle. They weren't allowed to to reap the corners. The corners were left for those that were poor, the widows and the orphans. They could not touch it. It was was given in the law. So they wouldn't touch it. So what would happen is the the guys working in the field, they would take the grain, they'd put it in a basket. And they didn't care. They are paid hourly. You know hourly employees. Not that you would do this. Southridge people are amazing. But hourly employees sometimes tend to not be as great because they're just killing time. Getting paid. And if they work or they don't work, they got paid the same. And so you can just imagine they fill their baskets. They got to carry it all the way to that ox cart. They don't want it too heavy. I don't get paid enough to be a heavy thing. The boss didn't want to get an extra ox cart. It's not my problem. So I'm going to fill it up. But then imagine some poor widow. Walking all the way from town, and this is what she's got to survive on. So as much as she can get, she only got one basket. So what she would do, she would take the grain, and she would pour it into the basket. And then she would shake the basket to get all the air out, to let the grain sink to the bottom. What did it do? It created more room. More room. And then she would go back, she would get some more, and she would shake it. Down, stomp that grain down. I got to get as much grain. And she would go and get more and she'd stomp it down. She'd go in another corner and she kept stomping that thing down and she'd get it. So it was just clearing the top of that basket. Just till it was, you, just the corners were kind of running over, not too much. She didn't want to lose it. She didn't want to be wasteful. And she would pick up that basket. And this basket weighed some weight. All those sissy workers in the field. And she didn't even have no lifting belt. Man, she would carry this thing back. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, which basket do you want me to give you? You want me to give you the basket of the guy who's like, yeah, it's half full, three quarters full, there you go. Or do you want God to so pack that thing down, it's running over and God says, Merry Christmas. I want to bless you because you've been sowing good seed. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for our church, that we understand where generosity comes from, where God is saying, hey, I've packed this thing down. I've packed your marriage down. It is running over with love and with joy and with peace. I've packed your children down where they have peace and they have joy in a world of chaos and terror that they don't know harm. That in this world where I've packed your job so full, I've packed your life so full, that this is going to bless your generation to the third and fourth and Fifth generation. This is just going to continue on down. Where God has just packed it down. When I was little, I had a 7-Eleven by our house, and we'd get the slurpees. The slurpees cost 99 cents, but if you stood there long enough, man, you get as much as you could in that store. Till you, till you got the, the the you know brain freeze, and you go back for some more, and then you take that big old Slurpee and pack that thing down because it's got a bunch of air in it, and you could fit more. Some of you still do it. I've seen you. You're like me. You paid 99 cents for that, you're going to get your slurpee. I want to get that slurpee. Man, you get your pina colada slurpee. Yes, that's where it's at. Mix a little Coke in the pina colada. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola in the pina colada. You shake that thing down. Man, it's good. You got extra. And you see that guy, he's just shaking his head because he knows you're packing that thing down. That's what I want God to do for each one of your lives. Here's the thing, I can't do it for you. I could just show you that my wife and I, we made this decision almost 11 years ago when we got married. We said God will be the first that we give to. The first check we write. And I know checks are outdated, but I need something symbolic in my life. I need something symbolic that says this is the first check. This goes to God. First thing. Some of you automate it. So as soon as you get that check, man, it goes right to the church account where you're just saying, God, I'm going to automate this. Some of us, you're like, I got the heart of generosity. I just also have the heart of forgetfulness. And so I just forget. And maybe it's time you say, I'm going to automate this thing. Because I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in my life. Some of us, we are living not the blessed life, but a cursed life. Because God is saying, I want to do so much more for you, but I can't. Look at the generous people in your life. You, everybody has generous people. Ask them what they do. Say, how did you become generous? And they will tell you, I worked at it, I just started. I bought a coffee for somebody. Hey, you know what? Our church had a building project, man. I and God did it. God builds it. You see, it's God's job to grow it. It's my job to sow it. It's God's God to grow it. It's my job to sow it. Our church's good ground to sow into. Next week, we're going to take our heart and soul offering. And on, on everyone's seat, there's a card. It's what I call a commitment card for you to pray over this week. I'll talk about this again at the Vision Gala. And if you take that this week, I'd love for you to pray about it. And say, God, what would you have me to participate? In? I know, and this is scary for me as a pastor. I want to tell you why. The last two years, we've had something big to give towards. Something big. This year, I'm saying, God, what do we do? There's, I, don't, I don't see it, but God, I know you do. I know you see it. Last year at this time, we had $2, uh, $200,036 uh, in the building fund. As it stands right now, we're just shy of $400,000. Even with all the chaos, we've still doubled that account everything we've been through. I thought you'd get a little bit more excited that we doubled in with all the chaos. I am. I don't know about y'all, but I am. So if you say, well, I don't know if I should give you even $100 a pastor. I don't know why I'm talking a southern accent. Ain't not a one of you from the south, I don't think. Oh, yes, Texas represent. That's for you, Laurie. Sweet Laurie. But I want you to understand, our church is making big strides. I was talking to my coach again. I said, hey, you got to help me with this. I'm praying. I'm sweating. I don't don't tell people. He said, bro, you need margin. What if the economy tanks? And I hope that it doesn't. But if it does and a building comes up cheap, guess what will happen? We need to be ready. Don't we? we got to be ready. The economy tanked. Before, buildings were going so cheap. If the economy hadn't tanked, guess what? I wouldn't have been able to buy a house. Now, I know that was good for me, bad for many of you. I apologize. I apologize. But I wouldn't be able to exist. I wouldn't be able to live in the Bay Area without it. You see, God can do things. He can open up doors. But guess what? We have to have the margin to be ready to take that next step. Right now, $400,000 in the bank. That's great. That's not on top of the general. The general is a separate account. But guess what? God is saying, hey, let's stretch a little bit so when the opportunity comes, we've got the margin to say, guess what? We're ready for this thing. We're ready to take this step. We, we've done our homework. We've we put it in there. we built up that account. We keep putting every, every month we try to put a little bit in there. You see this? This is what we do every month. Every month we're putting money away. Every month. Why? Because we believe that God has something for us. I believe that God is, has that property for us. He has that gym for us. He has that auditorium. He has that student center. He has that garage. We're going to help single moms fix their cars. He has that student center. He has that family life center. He has that Christian school. He has that Christian college. He's got it all planned out. But we're right now just saying, God, we're going to plan for the future. We're going to save. And so, God, we're just saying, what can we do? What can we do? So I'm just going to put some in here. And I'm just, God, I'm just, I'm just saying, God, I'm just, I'm just investing into the future. And guess what? I can't get that back. But God, I, I, I know this is this is good. I, I kind of needed that. That was lunch. What's that 20? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But that's that's what God wants it to. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.